Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. We're blessed to be in the house of God. Amen. Are you happier this morning than you were last night? That's a real question. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Brother Larry and Sister Heather, they, they, they came through, the MVPs of the season. They came at home. I want to I complete the outfit. This is, a, this, is a, this is a 2017 World Series when they rightfully won against the Dodgers. <laughs> so here, here it is. Amen. Glory to God. We thank you, the greatest city in the world. And uh, our victories have proven it. Amen. I won't preach with this. I'll, I'll have some respect. But I did, I did want to pay tribute to 2017. Uh, <laughs> amen. Um, but praise God, man. It's good, for, it's good to be in the house of God. Uh, last week, we, you guys, we celebrated Pastor's Day. And I'll once again just want to say thank you to our church. Thank you for uh, everything, all the love, all the support that you guys give. Um, man, it, you guys... You really make us feel like it's like it's worth it, you know. Because sometimes, sometimes we don't see the fruit right away, um, and uh, hearing just you know your words of encouragement and and all of that that really that really does something uh, to us and to our to our spirit. So we we, we really just thank you, and we praise God uh, for for the work of this ministry. We're going to continue doing it as long as God has us here. Um, until he calls us to something else, amen, because that's all we can do is be obedient. And uh, I want you to be obedient this morning. I want you to, to open up your hearts and open up your minds to the word of God. And with that, I'm going to ask that you stand. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. And when you have it, give me a, a good amen. And don't be too quiet this morning. I know y'all weren't quiet last night. I know y'all, y'all were all over Instagram. I, I saw the same story like, like, like a hundred times in a row, man. We get it. The Astros posted it. You don't need to repost it. We all saw it. We know you saw the game. I'm, I'm, I'm offending people this morning. Pastor, I'm about to walk out. Matthew 15, 1 through 20. If you have it, say amen. 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 It says this, you ready? It says, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus spit in that fire early on. Why is it that you care more about the tradition of man than the commands of God? Of God. You know, we're all familiar with the term politically correct, right? I think there is an equivalent in the church called religiously correct or congregationally correct, where sometimes as Christians, we wish to, you know, we, we wish to please people. We, we please uh, tradition, right? And what the church folk think before we go to God. And uh, anyways, I, I'm going to keep preaching on that, but let's go to verse six. It says, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines and commandments of men. And he called the people to him and he said, that, he said to them, hear and understand. Are you hearing and understanding this morning? It says this, it says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth 
This, somebody say, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and they said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended with this saying? And Peter says in verse 15, he says to Jesus, explain this parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? How is it that you can walk with me every single day? You can say amen when I preach. You can take notes when I teach. You have seen the things that I do, the things that I care about, and you are still without understanding. We've got Christians who have been in the church for 30 years, and they are still without understanding about the things that God cares about. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and mercy murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiled a person. But to eat with unwashed hands is nasty is what I imagine Jesus said. I hope he said it, but it does not defile anyone. And with that, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you've given to your servant, my God. I pray that I don't, I don't preach, my God, any of it, my God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak it through me, Lord, my God. I, take, I ask that you just take over uh, my, my mind, my God, and my heart, Father God, and these lips, my God, that I would just be a vessel, my God, of yours. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. I hope you receive that word. I want to I talk about the heart this morning. I believe that God always wants to speak to your heart. God wants to deal with the real you, right? He doesn't want, he doesn't want the fake you. He doesn't want the, the Sunday morning you. He doesn't want the, the person who has to put on a smile when there's really no smiling heart. He wants the real you, right? God, listen, God can only transform a person whose heart he possesses. If he doesn't possess your heart, you cannot be transformed. And this, this whole exchange between Jesus and, and the Pharisees and his disciples, that's what it's about. It's the heart. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. If your heart is in the wrong place, it doesn't matter that your body is sitting here in church. If, if my heart as, as, as a pastor, as a preacher, if it's, not in the wrong, if it's not in the right place, it doesn't matter that I'm preaching up here. I could still be used. God can, God can use whoever he wants as an instrument. Uh, God, you, you may still be blessed by the word. You might even come to Jesus because it's the word that saves. It's not the preacher that saves. But if my heart is not in the right place, I'm going to have to deal with God on judgment day. It's all about the heart. I hear you, brother, even when you're sick. I still hear you. I love it. So I entitled my sermon this morning, Out of the Heart. Out of the heart. Uh, you know, they, they, say, they say the number one cause of death in, in America is, is heart disease, right? That's been the number one killer for, for years. And I believe if we, if we even like t- took like a, a, a spiritual twist to it, we could say that the number one killer of Christian faith is a bad heart. Because, because if your heart isn't transformed, you can't be saved. It's, you can't be. Paul says it in Romans 10. He says it's, it's for the heart. It's with the heart that one believes and is justified. And it's with the mouth that one confesses. Verbal confession without a humbled heart will do nothing on its own. You can say the, the, the sinner's prayer. You can say Jesus is Lord. But if your heart is far from me, Jesus, Jesus says, Jesus says their, 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 their lips honor me, but their hearts are far from me. That's called a fake Christian. That's a fake Christian. And yet these are very often very often what we see in the church, this is going to be a little bit of an offensive message. Amen. 
but it's, it's not, it's not to you. It's to the other churches, right? We're just, I didn't know what else to preach. So I got to preach this to you guys. We see in the church, we see the confessions every Sunday. We see, we, we hear the confessions. We see the acts of service. We see the social media posts. We see the songs of praise. We, we see the tithes and the offerings, but there is a serious lack of Christians just giving God their heart. Giving God everything that they possess. And if, and if we never give God our heart, it's always going to remain in its default state of corruption and deception. Maybe, maybe you've asked this question before. I, I, ask, I ask it pretty often. Why am I like this? Why am I like this? Or, or why can't I fix this? And I think the response to that question is, is another question. Have I given God full control? Have I given God my entire heart? How many of you know that God wants your entire heart? He doesn't want just a piece of it. He wants, he wants all of it. To give God your entire heart. What does that, what does that even mean? It means to give God everything in your heart. Th- think, think of the heart like a, like a, like a treasure box. Think of your heart like a treasure box for a moment. What is in your treasure box? For me, it would probably be my family. It would be my kids. It would be everything that I desire. It would be my, my everything that I cherish, my, my ambitions, you know, um, my ministry, my church. All of that is in my, my treasure box, a.k.a. my heart. So to give God my heart means to give him the treasure box. And can I be honest with you? I, th- I think, I think uh, Pastor Maritza actually preached on this recently. I don't like giving away control of things. I, I like keeping control. Some of y'all know this. I, I don't even like to collaborate with people. I, they're like, hey, you want to you wanna collab? You know, you want to you wanna work on this together? You know, I'm, I'm thinking, no, I, I don't. I would rather work by myself because I, 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 that's, I just, I'm more efficient by myself, right? Because if, if I'm working with somebody else, I have to share control. I have to listen to what you think. And, and that, that's just me. I, I prefer to work by myself on anything, on anything. And, and so sometimes I'll notice that, that when things, they're not going right in my life in one aspect, I, I ask myself that question, why, why is it like this? Why can't I fix this? And it's because I'm still holding on to the control. And I, w- I would say, I would say 99% of, of Christians would say that they have given their full heart to God. But really what they've done is they've opened up that treasure box and they've, re- they've taken out some of the content. They, they say, God, you can have this, you can have that, you can have that. But, but you haven't given them everything in there. You're still holding on to, to, to some things that you want the control of. Maybe that's your family. Maybe that's your marriage. Maybe that's your job. Maybe that's your career. Maybe that's your, all your ambitions. You don't want to give everything to God, but you've given most things to God. God isn't looking for most things. He's looking for all of you. He's looking for all of you. And this is why he tells the disciples. He says, if, if you're not prepared to leave your father and your mother, if you can't hate even your family, which is most of our desired, that's, that's our, our deepest treasure. If you can't even do that, then you cannot be my disciple because I require all of you. But God, I can give you my time. I can give you Sunday all day, all day. I can give you, I can even give you Saturday. I'll give you every morning. I'll give you every night. And we, we give God aspects of our heart, but God wants everything. And that is why, listen, church, that is why the gospel message is so offensive to people because it requires everything. And so many of us are not prepared to give up everything. We are not prepared to give up everything. 
But to give God everything is to hand him that entire box, our entire heart. Jeremiah says that, he says that the heart is, is what? Evil, right? Then heart is in, inherently evil. It cannot do good on its own. So in other words, if your heart belongs to you, it might as well belong to the devil. <laughs> so David had to pray after, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you know the story of David. And he felt so remorseful. He, 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 was, he was repentant. And he tells God, God created me a clean heart. Purify it. Make it whole again. Mend it. Because there's an aspect of it that I've held on to, that I haven't surrendered to you. But I know that you desire a clean heart, a purified heart. And I want to be a man after your heart. But to do that, I have to give you everything that is in me. Church, unless you give God everything. Somebody say everything. Everything, it will remain your heart will remain evil. And you can try to cover it up with good works and you can try to cover it up with coming to church and you can try to cover it up with, with tithing the most and giving the most and, and serving the most, but God isn't even looking so much at that stuff. What did he tell the prophet Samuel? He says, man looks at the outer. I look at the heart. Man is, man is gonna look at the raised hands. Man, man is gonna look at how much scripture you know. Man is gonna look at how much how much you give. Man is going to look at, at what you do and what you don't do. And that's important, but I go deeper than that. I look at the heart. And we live in a world with people. And so it's so easy for us to hide our hearts from people. But God says, I see it. I can see right through you. And if you notice, a lot of my sermons recently, they've been, they've been like against uh, the culture of church. Church culture is nice. You know, everybody has a culture. We all have our culture. Church culture is nice. I like getting in a church with the same, with like-minded people and worshiping together. And, and, and just church culture is, it's friendly. I, I love it. Man, we went to New York a few, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, I feel like, I feel like nobody had God in them. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was that or they're just, they don't know what Texas hospitality is. Um, Man, I, I, I was telling, I was telling somebody, I, I opened up, I opened a door for, for, for a lady and she didn't know what to do. Like I, I opened it up, like we were leaving a restaurant and I held the door open for her. And literally she looks at me and then she looks at the door and then she looks at me and then she looks at the door and I'm like, lady, just walk through. <laughs> like they're not used to that stuff. Right. And, and I'll say that no one held the door open for me over there. Right. I think that's, I think that's why Texans, we, we have a, we have a love. Well, I don't, I don't know if the, the love is there. We have a hate relationship with New York, uh, but they're just, they're so, they're so fast paced. You know, this is our culture and Christian culture is great because it, it's friendly. It's, it's loving, right? It's, it, it, it's welcoming. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, we've given the culture of church and tradition and shoot, even, even man-made doctrine, the same authority as God's word. We have, you, you know, you know, Christians believe things that aren't even in the Bible. We treat it as authoritative word. We, we, we say we're against man's religion. We, we separate ourselves 
from the Catholics because the Catholics, you know, they, 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 they hold that the, that the Pope and the magisterium that has the same authority as God's word and that God gave them the same authority as his word. And we're like, no, that's, I think that's a little off, man. God's word stands alone and it's only sola scriptura. That's, that's this, this word alone has full authority. We just honor it. We just obey it. Right. But we don't create the law that God has already established. But when we, when we, when we put in tradition and when we put in man-made religion and we equate that with God's word, we're missing the mark. And sometimes we do this because we feel the pressure. We feel the pressure to conform to a certain way. And th- th- this past week we had our youth pastors over and, and our young adults leaders at our house. This past Thursday, I, c- I cooked them a nice meal, right? And by cooked, I mean ordered a nice meal. And by nice meal, I mean pizza and wings. But uh, we, uh, the purpose of the meeting was I, I wanted to brainstorm some unconventional ways to reach this community of young adults. Because some, some new statistics came out um, in, the, in the Edo community. The average size of, of, of the average household size is two. Young couples are, are in this area. Young couples. The average household income is $100,000, just shy of $100,000 a year. 62% of the people in this community hold some form of college education. And so that's very new for us because we've, you know, this, this has historically been uh, uh, an impoverished community. And I think the church just in general, we know how to give to the needy. We know how to clothe. We know how to, how to, how to feed. We know how to give. That's, that's what we're called to do. And that's what God cares about. But there's still people on the other end of the spectrum who need Jesus. And it's like the church has never asked themselves, how do we reach them? How do we reach people who don't think they need Jesus? How do we reach people who aren't in need of anything? They got a good job. They've got, they've got a nice house. They've got the car. They got, they got all of that, but they need Jesus too. And so we started brainstorming some ways on, on how we can reach these people and connect with them and, and ultimately connect them with the gospel. Because you know what? That's always the goal, guys. You know, numbers only matter when the number means something. We can have 500 people in this room. But if we just have 500 churchgoers, that's not as, in, that, that's not as impactful as 50 spirit-filled Christians. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what I desire. I think that's what all of us desire. That's what the pastoral team desires is that we would disciple and that the Holy Spirit would just grow in us and we would just hunger for God and that we would see miracles and, and that would, it would explode in this community. That's what we desire to see. But to get there, we have to present the gospel. If we're, te- if we're just preaching to the choir all the time, we're just... We're just feeding ourselves. And so that, that was kind of the theme of the meeting. How do, we, how do we reach this community when we've never really dealt with them before? And, and it might even be intimidating because maybe the average household income in here is not $100,000. How, how do we reach those people that we can't connect to? And so we started to brainstorm and I realized that as, as we were coming up with some things, we kind of got in our own way a little bit because we started to analyze, like, what, what, would, the, what would the church think if we tried this? What, what, would, what would brother so-and-so say? What would hermana so-and-so say? Would the church have an issue with this? And obviously, you have to think things through, but, but I think what the church thinks, what tradition thinks, often prohibits kingdom progress. 
We never move forward because like, ah, people are going to shut this down. And when you zoom out and when you read the Bible, (laughs) Jesus, somebody say Jesus. Jesus Jesus got criticized for this stuff all the time. Why do your disciples defile themselves by not washing their hands? And another passage, it was Jesus. Why don't your disciples fast regularly? Another passage, it was, why do you sit down with tax collectors and sinners? And another passage is, do you even know this woman who you're allowing kissing your feet? And another passage is, why do you heal on the Sabbath day? Kingdom culture, kingdom culture. In, in Jesus' day, it took a backseat to the religious, traditional church culture. And, and I'm, I'm afraid that nothing has really changed in 2,000 years. Even the disciples of Jesus, man, the closest ones to him, they couldn't get past their culture. They said, Jesus, that was, that was kind of intense, man. You, you, you offended the Pharisees. And I know that's, you're about that life, but honestly, I'm not really sure I follow either. What do you mean by what goes into the mouth does not defile a person? Because I've understood otherwise. You see, Jesus is trying to break tradition but not even the disciples understood what he was doing. What if God is trying to break some tradition in your life? He's trying to break some man-made religion and perceptions that you have in your life. Like he did with Peter. When he told Peter, I want you to eat. I want you to go to the house of Cornelius and I want you to eat with him. And he says, no God, because it's, it's unclean. And Jesus is like, man, don't call unclean what I have made clean. In the old Testament, there were all kinds of, you know, un, uh, Weird loss, and, and there was a bunch of things that were considered unclean. There was food laws. You couldn't eat certain meat because it was considered unclean. And if you were a Nazarite, kind of like Samson, uh, you know, the, the regulations were even further. You couldn't drink because it would defile you. You couldn't go near a corpse, a dead body, because it would defile you. You couldn't cut your hair because it would defile Man, I would be the, the biggest sinner, right? Goodness. <laughs> you couldn't trim your beard because it would defile you. And it's like, that, that's, that's what they knew. The things that you did, the things that you didn't do, that would defile you. What you ate, that would defile you. What you would go near, that would defile you. And it seems like Jesus is flipping all of that around when he says, it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth. I mean, if I'm honest, I would have probably been a little confused too. Because that's a different picture than what we see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers but we have to understand something, church. There's, there's all kinds of weird laws in, in, in the Old Testament. You read it, and, and, and sometimes people read through the Old Testament, and I'll get a, I'll get a, I'll get a, a question um, from somebody who says, why, why in the world did God you know, set this law? And God desired a people who would belong to him, right? That's why he established them. He established a people group who would be set apart from the world, meaning they were not going to be normal. They were not going to be the regular, the average Joe. They were, they were going to be different. That's what God was doing. He was setting apart and consecrating his people. And so his people, they were obedient to him and they were obedient to the law. But I want you to hear this over time. Obedience became routine. Did you hear me? Obedience is like the highest form of honor that we can give to God. God says, I, I, I honor obedience over sacrifice. But sometimes obedience is no longer obedience anymore. It's just robotic. It's routine. 
you're not doing it out of the heart anymore. You're doing it because it's all you know. And when something becomes routine, the heart is no longer in it. Some people come to church week after week after week because that's what they do. It's what you were taught when you were a kid. It's, it's, it's all you know to do. What else are you going to do on a Sunday morning? But if your heart is away from God, there's a problem. Maybe you don't cuss. You're not, a, you're not addicted to drugs or alcohol. You only listen to Christian music, but your heart is far from God. You don't have a relationship with him. G- Jesus I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these things. I, I preached a few months or a few weeks back on, on, on the importance of God religion. Religion is important. God established his religion. And it's important to do the, the, God, the things that God requires. Jesus commended the church of Ephesus for their good works and their godly practices, but he rebuked them because they lost their love. They had lost their heart. It was no longer in it. They were just, they were just doing it out of routine. And so when something becomes routine, but the heart is no longer in it, we no longer serve God. We serve a regiment. We serve a routine. We follow the tradition. We follow the religion, but God is absent. It's like we forgot. We we forget the why. And the Pharisees were really good about this. They were really good about following the tradition. It was ingrained in them. It was their culture. It is what they knew to do. But Jesus looked at the heart and he said, it's not what you do. It's not what you don't do. It's the heart that matters. It's the heart. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you this morning, how is your heart? Ask yourself that question. I, I sat down with the pastor um, a few months back and, and, and he asked me that question. He said, how's your heart? And I was like, that's kind of a weird question. Like normally people ask, how's your family? How's your ministry? How's your church? He said, how's your heart? I was like, uh, I didn't know how to answer it. And then he, he, he kind of gave me some more background on that. He says, I always ask people how, how their heart is because it really causes them to reflect in the depths of themselves and answer honestly, how is your heart doing? And I want you to ask yourself that this morning. How's my heart, man? You know, it's, it's possible. I, I like the marriage example. It's possible to be in a marriage where the love is no longer present, right? And, and Many marriages have gone through it. You're married, but you got a lot of issues, a lot of issues. And many times it's just easier to stay married because you've already curated a life around it. That's, that's what you know. To, it's what you know. You don't want to disrupt the routine because you're already accustomed to it. Even though the love isn't there, we know how to work together as partners. And so we're just going to continue doing it because we're already accustomed to it, but there's no love there. There's no real relationship there. That's, that's a routine. And so maybe, maybe you manage to stay married, even though there's no love, but I'll tell you this, if something comes against the marriage, if something, something tragic happens in your lives and it disrupts the routine, you're not going to stay married anymore. When something disrupts the routine while there's no foundation of love that holds it together, what else, what else you've got? And in the same way, if your walk with God is defined by a routine church, what happens when the routine is disrupted? What happens when a real storm comes your way? What happens when, when you lose a loved one? What happens when you lose your job and then you lose your house and you lose everything and you haven't given your heart to God? I guarantee you we won't see you at church again. I guarantee you we won't hear from you anymore because the only thing that kept you together was a routine. 
and routines don't bind. That's probably the difference between Job and his wife. Job probably thought he was marrying a godly woman because everything was great. Boy was rich. They had, they had a good life. But when it came down to it, and their children passed away, and their wealth was stripped from them, and Job's health was taken away, the routine was disrupted, and so she tells Job, just curse God and die, but praise God, Job was faithful because he had his heart belonged to God. It's about the heart, man. If you're walking with Jesus, but you haven't given him your heart, you're not really walking with Jesus. You're walking with the church. You're, you're, you're kind of in the crowds, but you're not in the circle. You're following the, the movement of God, but you're not moving with God. God's not moving in you because you haven't given him your heart. A couple weeks ago, I gave the sermon, I give the, the, the class on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5. And I would encourage you to read Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's so powerful. But I want to highlight a, f- a few things because it has to do, it has to do not with the action, but, but with the heart. And you're not going to like this, okay? But I'm just a messenger this morning. is Matthew 5, 21. You don't, you don't have to turn there. Matthew 5, 21, it says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You you see, you see Jesus here is first calling out the culture, right? He says, you have heard, you have heard it say, you have heard what people say about this society and the law. They have dictated the rules on murder and good for you guys, man. You've never committed murder, but I say, Now he's appealing to what? To a kingdom culture. You have heard it said, murder bad, but I say it's the thing that produced the murder. What what, what produces murder? He says anger. Anybody mad this morning? The real issue is what birthed the act of murder. It's anger. Anger is produced from the heart. If you are angry with a person and then you hold on to that anger and it becomes bitter, bitterness and resentment and eventually hatred, you will be held liable of hellfire. It doesn't matter that you've never even uh, put a finger on that person. If you are wishing somebody the worst, God sees your heart. Hmm. The, the, the theme that the Bible scholars give to the Sermon of the Mount, like if Jesus were to put a title on his sermon, like I put a title on my sermons, it would be counterculture. That, that's the, I mean, you see that from the very beginning on the Sermon of the Mount, from the very start of it, Jesus is speaking counterculturally. And, and here he's saying it's not, it's not just the act of murder that's wrong. The real issue is, is what produced that. It started in the heart. And so before... You, before you even commit the act of murder, I already see it in your heart. Okay, maybe, maybe I don't hate anybody. Let's go to verse 27. Let's we'll see if this one's a little bit more relatable. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you 
that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The world says you can look, but don't touch. Jesus says, if you look a little bit too long, if you look in the wrong way, if you look lustfully, you are just as liable as the act. I wonder how many adulterers we have in the church. That's it, baby. Hey, you got to flee. Hey, but here's the thing. Like you, we, we can fool everybody else. We can fool everybody else. I believe you, Brother Edward, but we could, we could say that all day. I don't look, but I don't know that for sure. Jesus does because he looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And you can fool me and you can fool the church and you can fool your spouse because we can't see your heart. God, that is what God is looking at every day. That's what God is looking at. When you open up your Bible in the morning and you're like, God, you watching me? God is looking at your heart. He's, he, he's saying, is, is, he, is he doing this because he wants to spend time with me or he thinks he's going to get a sticker? Like, what's, what, what's the intent? What's the intent? God, you see me? I dragged, my, I dragged myself to prayer this morning. That's, that's two stars. Jesus is like, are you only there because people expect you to be there? Are you only there because they're going to they're gonna make you feel bad for not being there? Or are you there because you want to be there? That's what I'm talking about. Church culture. Church culture dictates our actions far more than our heart does. Mm. God sees. Listen, God sees the unwillingness in your heart, even though you have verbally said, I am willing. He sees the struggle in your heart. But beyond the I'm goods and the everything is fine and it's all chill. God, God sees the real intent behind every single motive. I was, I was telling some people this week and I'm going to be super real with you. Okay. Can I be, can I give you my heart? Sometimes, sometimes I don't want to go to every church event. Come on, Pastor Danny. You know what I'm talking about? Like <laughs> we are a very active church. I praise God for it, man. Praise God. Because, because an idol church produces idol members and idol members can produce idol Christians. And so we, we gotta, we gotta be active. We got, there has to be some movement and we have a lot of ministry. We've got a lot of leaders and they're all, we're always doing something. And, and there's, it's like, there's something every single, every single weekend. And, and sometimes, huh? Every day. And sometimes, sometimes I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to go because I can't remember the last weekend that I had just hanging out with my family. Literally, I can't. I can't. And, but I, but I'm, I'm just going to be real with you. I tell my wife, and, and, and Melissa, you know, she's a straight shooter, right? She's, she's going to tell me how it is. But, but I'll, tell, I'll tell her, like, I, I, I feel like I have to go. I feel like I should be there. Because everybody's going to be there. And the pastor's not going to be there. People are going to be like, where's the pastor? I'm going to get a thousand text messages after. Hey, you good, bro? Can I pray for you? Like, why didn't you show up? And they're going to make me feel bad indirectly. And so I'm like, I, I got to go. But then I think to myself, how? I can't go to everything. And, and, and I think, okay, maybe, maybe I go to this event and I please people. And I please the church, but God sees that my heart is back home with my girls. What if we stop trying to walk the walk of Christ for people and instead try to walk it for Jesus? 
right? And it's, it's okay if people get offended. It's okay. Let, let them ask. Let them ask, why, why didn't you go to the event? People can't send you to heaven. We have given our hearts to people when God says, I want it all. I want all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. Not even, not even, not even your spouse should have, mm, that, that's, that's a hard saying. That's a hard saying. Jesus says, I want all of it. And he's a, he's a good God. He's a good Lord. He's going to, he's going to allow you to give some of it to, to your, to your family but always being prepared to put him first because anything that we put in front of him becomes God. Jesus was trying to teach the people that it's all about the heart, man. It's the disciples. It's all about the heart. Sometimes I wonder how much Jesus would have had to correct if, if, if he were walking on earth today, like what, what kind of church reform would Jesus bring if he pastured all the churches how would he do it? How many masks do people wear in the church so that we look good for the church? I said this many times. I'm going to say it again, man. We, we, we've, we've done this to ourselves. We have created a culture that, that yes, desires to please God, but we also want to sprinkle a little bit of pleasing of man. And I've been to those services when the preacher gets on stage and he says, scream if you love Jesus. And I'm just there like, oh man, like, now I got to scream because the guy next to me is going to be like, this guy doesn't love Jesus. And so there I am. Ah, yes. Like it, it literally sounds like that because I'm not a natural, like, you know, <laughs> like even, even, even with the, with the Astros, man, my dad goes crazy. You know, every time, every time there's a, there's a, there's a home run or something. And, and I'm just there like, all right, you know, and, but, but he, he gets up and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, that's just not, that's not something I do. And, and so scream if you love Jesus. I'm like, you know, you look at my heart, right? <laughs> but what do we do? What does the whole church do? We scream. We scream. We've, we've, we've created that culture ourselves that pleases man. Mm. Like what if, I'm going to have the worship team come on, I'm about to finish. But I want you to just, uh, just go with me just for a second. What if Jesus physically walked into this room during a moment of worship and he would look around the room and he, he would single people out like he often does. And he would say, he would say, the church sees your raised hands. The church hears your hallelujahs. The church hears your songs. The church sees your smile. But I see so much deeper. I see so much deeper. I can see how, how you weren't even sure if you wanted to come this morning. I, 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 I see the struggle that you had this morning to even get out of bed. I, I know the I see the fight that you had with your spouse on your way to church. Meanwhile, you're worshiping and nobody realizes that there's an issue right there. But I, I saw it. I see everything. I see right through you. I see through the worship. I see through the tears. I, I see through the, the, the worship face, right? I see through the raising. I see everything because I'm looking at the heart. And what if we just, what if, what if we just picture Jesus standing there with us, seeing the depths of our heart, how different would we perform? 
What would we do differently? In Revelation, when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, he begins every exhortation with, I know. He says, I know what you do. I know your tribulation. I know your struggles. I know. The Greek word is oida. It means to perceive. So he says, I know all of it. And he's saying, what he's speaking to first is, is everything that everybody else sees. I know your commitment. So does your pastor. I know that you can sing well. So does your pastor. That's why you're up there. If you don't sing well. <laughs> I, I, I know your good works. I know what you struggle with, but, but so do the people in your church. That's why they pray with you. I know all of these things. I know what everybody else knows. And then he says, but. The Greek word is Allah. It's often used to, to contrast statements like, like but. He says, I know what everybody else sees. I see what everybody else says. But I also see this. I also see deeper. I also see what they can't see. They see your good works, Church of Ephesus. They see that you are committed. They see that you're always here. You're always working. You're the first one to show up. You're the last one to leave. I see all of that, but I also see that your heart is not in it. I see your heart. God is looking at your heart this morning. You can't hide it from him, man. You can't hide it from him. And I just, I, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to challenge you to give God not just a piece, but everything. Because when you give, listen, when you give God everything, no one else holds a piece of your heart so they can't expect anything. You're not, they don't dictate your, your actions, your motives, because God has your heart. It's like my wife. I'm, I'm her husband. She's got my heart as, as her husband. No other lady, no other woman. You can try. Yeah, don't try. Don't try. Some wisdom, Pastor. Don't try. But I'm not, I'm not even thinking about anyone else but my wife because she's got my heart. I, every morning, every Sunday, every Sunday, well, not, not Sunday, every, every day, I want to get my wife's opinion on, on my outfit. Like, how does this look? And every time she says, I don't like it. But she says, if you like it, I'm like, girl, I'm asking you because I want to look good for you, girl. <laughs> like, I, I just, I want to, I want to please you. Like, you got my heart. I want to look good for you, baby. And so when God has your entire heart, everything you do is to please him. There's no room to please people. Let them be offended. Let them ask questions. If God has my heart and I'm living for him, he is pleased with me. He is the one who's going to look at me one day and say, well done, good and faithful servants. 
the one who holds my heart. God is tugging at hearts this morning. God is tugging at hearts this morning. And this was a very simple message, but I, I felt like, I feel like there's, you know, Pastor Melissa, she, she, she said it earlier today and I spoke on it yesterday at prayer. I've had a few people come and I've, I've, I've met with them this week and, and some of them told me, like, I, I, I want to give God everything, but I, there's something that holds me back. And I feel like there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. I love this church and I, and I love this congregation. I love the English congregation. I, I love both congregations, but, but I'm speaking to the English this morning and I know that there's a lot of you that have, you've not been in the faith for a long time. You recently said yes to Jesus, but you haven't given him everything. And I want to I wanna encourage you this morning. What if you just went all in? What if you just said, God, take all of it. Take all of me. I'm tired of worrying about the things that I try to control, but I don't even control it very well. How about I just give you everything? I don't even need to look at the box and see what's in my heart. I'm just going to give you all of it and trust you. What if you just did that? What would that change in your life, man? God wants all of your heart. Give God all of your heart. He stands at the door and he knocks and he wants to come in and he wants to invade your spirit. You gotta give him permission, man. You gotta give him permission. You gotta give him everything. And I want you to stand with me this morning as the worship team is gonna sing. And I wanna, I wanna, I wanna ask, I wanna ask the prayer team to come forward this morning. We prayed this morning over the prayer team. I believe there is discernment in this room. I believe that there is anointing in this group. If you're in need of prayer, don't, don't stay in your seat. Don't stay in your seat. I want you to come forward and I want, I want, I want us to pray with you. But then if you want to just come this morning and surround yourself in the presence of God and give God everything that you've got and don't hold anything back anymore. I want, I want you to think about the things that you've been holding back. What have you not given to God? What, what have you been holding so tight to? And God is saying, just give it to me. Give me your worry. Give it to me. You worry every day. Get, give it to me. Give me the things that you're anxious about. Give me your doubt because you're doubting every single day. You're doubting my promises. You're, doubt, you're doubting my presence. You don't even, sometimes you don't even know if I'm real. Give me your doubt and let me wow you. Let me show you. Let me show you what a God fully in your spirit looks like. Let me show you. God is saying, let me show you what I can do with the transformed heart. Because your heart is broken. Your heart is in pieces. But God can mend it. And he can make it whole again. Give me your heart, says God. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.